Today I'm talking to Josh Malman. He's the grow operations manager at the clinic here in Denver, Colorado. He's gone from the professional horticultural industry to pioneering legal cannabis growing in Colorado and the country, really. The clinic produces medical and recreational weed, cannabis, in Colorado, also in a couple of other states, Nevada and Illinois. They're also responsible for The Bank, which is an interesting breeding project that you'll hear us talk about. So stay tuned and listen as we talk strains, technology, cocoa mediums, extracts, and lots and lots of blue dream here on The Real Dirt. All right, once again, you have downloaded The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. And on today's Dirt, we have Josh Malman of The Clinic. Say hey, Josh. Hey, Chip. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, this is a a great one. I've been looking forward to having you over here for a while. It took us a minute to get in touch with you guys, and I'm so glad you returned my phone call. Thanks. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) You know that feeling you get where you just call over and over and over again, and you're like, they're never going to call me. Please answer my call. Please Please answer my call. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That was me. That was me. Uh, or maybe uh, it was Seth, yeah. actually, maybe, or Lisa. I'm Lisa was sure. getting after me for sure. Lisa was getting after yeah. you, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lisa's awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, Josh is the uh, head grower manager, grow manager at the clinic. Uh, the clinic is one of the was one of the first cannabis dispensaries in um I should say it this way. The clinic was one of the first chain of cannabis dispensaries in Colorado. It started 2009, right when it all started to go down. Yeah, yeah. We uh, started at the end of 2009, and I made my way out here to Colorado uh, beginning in 2010 to help the clinic with their first harvest. Man, you were telling me an interesting story backstage earlier about uh, about how it all how it all worked and how you fell into these guys. Like you, you went to high school with the owners of the clinic. Yeah, I did. I went to high school with Max Cohen, and uh, actually never thought I was going to get into cannabis growing myself. Uh, I g- pursued a horticulture degree out of Colorado, out of Wisconsin, Madison. So go Badgers. Uh, moved out to California with no job just to get any horticulture job I could get and ended up in uh, greenhouse growing of potted flowers and uh, through the grapevine heard that things were happening, big things were happening out here in Colorado and uh, lucky enough yeah. that uh, fate brought me back home and uh, really happy to be here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. So you, 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 called up, uh, uh, you called up Cohen and said, hey... Hey, Max, I, uh, I heard you're doing something out there. I heard you're starting up a dispensary. And he said, yeah, yeah. And he gave me the whole spiel. And I asked him if he knew what I was doing, and he didn't. And, well, lucky enough, he was in Santa Cruz that next week uh, buying some supplies for his first warehouse and uh, shot up the coast to Half Moon Bay where I was working. And I uh, was able to show him kind of what I had been up to the last few years. And I flew my wife and I out here the following weekend, gave us an offer, and we were here, you know, two months later. So... Wow, yeah, that's that's great. So yeah. you, you were you, you got a horticultural degree. You were growing in traditional potted plants or flowers, yep. cut flowers, uh, plants? potted flowers. So potted the ones flowers. that you see at uh, Trader Joe's or anything right. at the front of the grocery store market, uh, potted roses, orchids, all of those types of po- products. Right, right. And you're you're growing in a greenhouse on Half Moon Bay. Yep. Uh, and and came to grow indoors in in Colorado. Right. Now, let me ask you this question. So when you were in school, did your professors joke about growing indoors? 
They did a little bit. Right, and right. honestly, all my friends said, oh, so you're going to be a cannabis grower. You're going to be a pot grower when, you, you know, when you're finished with this. And I kind of laughed it off and laughed it off. And 15 years later, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the interesting, uh, interesting thing about cannabis is it's one of the only commercial indoor crops. Right. Yeah, you're starting right. to see some of the vertical farms for greens and some of the other, you know, yeah, the urban sort farms. Of, yeah, sort of the local growing mm -hmm. happening. But traditionally, you wouldn't think about growing indoors, no. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 expensive, right? right? Obviously, to build a building, to shut out all the sunlight, and then put lights in it, and then control the environment. Right, right. But cannabis, far cannabis farming thrived that way for you know since 1984 when the first metal halide came out. Right, right. Everybody had to hide it. Right. So naturally, they they hid it indoors. Yeah, yeah. That's what they did. And you know, honestly, we still sort of feel that way. We're uh, looking forward to getting back outdoors and getting back into the greenhouses and really starting to grow this crop a little bit more efficiently than what we've been doing the past seven. Yeah, man. I really love outdoor weed, full sun weed, um, greenhouse weed, uh, uh, light depth, light depth weed. Um, it has a different flavor. Yeah. Right. And it, it, especially the light depth, it looks like indoor. You can make it look like indoor, but it has this incredible flavor that, you know, you only get or you is associated with outdoor weed for me. Right. Yeah. I haven't been lucky enough to grow outdoors or in a greenhouse with, with this crop, but, uh, you know, the sun does a lot of great things that we can't do, uh, with the lights that we have inside. And I, and I know that with, uh, all the great genetics that we all have right now, that we could all be very successful in these greenhouses. Yeah, for sure. You know, plants, when they're grown indoors for a period of years, they, they get this, mm, this indoor disease, I'm going to call it. Right. And they, it's not really a disease, like a virus or anything, but they, they kind of like lose their vigor. They absolutely lose their right? vigor. We and, grow them soft. Yeah, I mean. yeah. And as soon as you put that same plant outside in like a month or six weeks, it'll change its growth structure. It'll become like a quote-unquote outdoor plant. It'll have a thick stem, right? These big leaves, the leaf patterns change. Right. You take a cutting off that plant, take it back inside, and the indoor psychosis is gone. Or <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Outdoor does a lot of great work for the genetics, for sure. It really strengthens up, brings the vigor back. Yeah. One of the uh, one of my first jobs in the commercial horticulture industry was on a mushroom farm, right? And we had uh, indoor, far indoor rooms where they were developing technology and growing specific mushrooms for research. And then they had these outdoor greenhouses, right? That was just a, like a shade mm -hmm. cloth type greenhouse. Man, those things just like produce Deuce, like nothing else right. right in the in the shade cloth greenhouses yeah and in the indoor like they look different and they just struggle yeah right and yeah. at the time i was i was just new to cannabis really you know i was i was i was a young guy and i saw it right then i was like oh this is just like weed right when it's indoor it has all these bright colors and when it's outdoor it's faded a little bit right. but like it grows way more prolific and, right you know bigger everything right yeah like i said i mean i haven't had a chance to do commercial growing on the outdoor side for the cannabis uh, but just you know being in colorado and having the ability to grow some plants at my house and having those out in my garden over the summer um, has given me the ability to see that that big difference and um, again with the the cost of the way they are in colorado right now it's really driving me to push my company to try to move into another uh growing method which would be you know outdoors or, or green yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots of greenhouses popping up. There absolutely Colorado. are. There absolutely are. Right. It's a little harder here with the extreme climate. 
Yeah. Well, you know, there's some really good greenhouse manufacturers out there, oh, yeah. and they're designing these things totally. specifically for cannabis now. They took them a couple of years. They didn't want to talk to us, you know, those first few years out right. of the gate. Now they're, you know, we're on the phone with them all the time, and they're ready right. for us. So. Totally, totally. Yeah, Conley's developed a uh, complete cannabis division now. Yeah, and Nexus is doing a Nexus, lot of big work with them. Pushed, yeah, they, yeah, Nexus is they got a webinar series on cannabis growing in a greenhouse right now. Yeah. Right. It's, it's all starting to change, man. Yeah, it really is. It's, all really is. it's to fun. Change. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the, the biggest thing here in the greenhouses is, is, is heating and cooling it right in the right. summertime. It's just so hot and the wintertime is just so cold. Right. Unlike Half Moon Bay was 50 degrees every day. Yeah. You open up right. those vents and you feel the ocean breeze. It was pretty, it's pretty nice. A hot day was 65 for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, you know, I, uh, luckily here in Colorado, we get 300 plus days of sun. So in terms of lighting the crop, uh, you maybe save a little bit of money there and you can throw that money into your heating and cooling potentially. Um, there's a lot of mild places here in Colorado and I think there's going to be a lot of success here in the greenhouses. Oh yeah, absolutely. It yeah. can be done on yeah. 100%, 100%. It's just, man, you, you know how coastal California is. Yeah. It's just this constant temperature. Yeah. And it's just easier to it deal with that. It is. You know? It was very easy to grow there. Right. Yeah. And you can put greenhouses and indoor anywhere in the world and you just have to deal with that outside climate influence and dial your indoor climate in. Right. Which, right. you know, early on was a challenge for not only us, but probably most cultivators as we were trying to figure out how much HVAC we needed, how much dehumidification we needed, how much water these plants were actually exuding uh, into these buildings and how we were able to get that out. And I think, uh, we, you know, we've obviously we've uh, improved over the, over the last few years and um, there are technologies and uh, methods to do all of those, all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you guys got medical and recreational grows. Yes. What the clinic does. Man, yep. it, 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 explain what that means in Colorado. When we started in 2009, we uh, were a medical-only company. Obviously, there was no recreational here in Colorado. Um, and, you know, Colorado mandated a, a vertical integration of these companies. And so we were the growers. We were the distributors, the retailers, uh, the lab uh, concentrate makers, all of it. Um, when REC came online, we had the ability to add those licenses to our uh, sort of arsenal and and enable us to serve not just the 100,000 plus uh, medical patients we had here in the state, but uh, the potential millions of uh, visitors and, and pot enthusiasts from around the world that were coming. Um, and we absolutely saw a, a huge improvement in uh, a huge increase in sales uh, when that rec uh, sales came online. So we still grow our product um, the same for our medical patients and our recreational patients. We offer a lot of the same strains uh, for both sides of the uh, market. Um, but everyone gets to have the fun now. Right, right, right. You don't have to have a medical license or get a doctor's prescription when you come to town. Right. There's, you know, there's a, the list of, um, conditions here in Colorado is fairly broad and there's a lot of conditions that a lot of people could uh, qualify for. People have their hangups on if they want to go ask their doctor to uh, mm -hmm. certify them, if they want to go to a quote unquote pot doc and get a, a certification that way. And so I think there was a, a gap in, in terms of what, who we were able to serve. And in my opinion is a lot of the recreational users are using it medically anyways. And so if they didn't mm -hmm. want to go through the process with the state and putting their name on the list and, and all of that, um, now they have the opportunity to still get their medicine. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so, so many people have this uh, perception about medical is different from recreational. Uh, it's not really though. It's the same, same strain, same weed. It's just regulated different. 
It is regulated different. Uh, different taxes, a few different rules, although the state has uh, been doing a fairly uh, good job of merging the rules between the two different uh, quote-unquote industries here. Uh, but no, the plants are the same. The strains are the same. Um, you know, we know that there's medical patients that are looking for specific uh, types of products. Uh, you know, we hear a lot, a lot of CBD and that's the, the kind of the, the big word going on the last few years. But again, we have recreational patients that are looking for those same types of medicines. And so, um, yeah, we grow all the same strains for both sides. Right. Right. And, and in the, in, do you have to separate the rooms for the strains? No, the plants are separated virtually. So here in Colorado, um, we have, a the administrator for the, um, regulations is called metric and there's two different color tags, blue for recreational, yellow for medical. Um, so when the enforcement officials come in, it's very clear to them to see uh, which plant is which, um, but no, they are allowed to grow side by side. Right. So, so it's, it's literally, you have mothers, you take cuttings from the mothers, they, they root and then you just decide if this OG Kush is medical and this OG Kush off the same mom is recreational. Right. And unfortunately here in Colorado, that decision has to be made as soon as you pot that rooted clone out. And right. so, right. Right. um, you know, these, these, uh, RFID tags are basically considered a VIN number. And as soon as you put that VIN number on that plant, the plant dies, the tag dies. You can't do any sort of switching out of tags or anything else. You really designate from, you know, call it day 15 of a rooted clone out of a cloner, mm -hmm. um, where that plant will be going. Right, right. Well, I never really thought about thinking about it as a VIN number. That's a great way. Yeah, to think about I think it. I think a med officer told me of that at one point, and it's, it just kind of clarifies sort of mm -hmm. how those tags work. Again, I mean, these are RFID tags that uh, an enforcement official could come in with a scanner and scan your building and see how many tags are in the building. They don't. You can't find them if they go out of your building. They don't track these products all over the place. It's just really just internally um, for the state to be able to find the plants. Right now, now the 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 med you you called him the the med officer. The, yeah. What did you call him? Marijuana enforcement. Mar department. Marijuana enforcement department. Yep. Marijuana. So so your your officer comes in and he's got a scanner of some sort. Yeah, he could have a scanner, an RFID scanner on his hip, and he could walk into one of your flowering rooms and give it a scan and say you have 700 plants in here. Your records show that you have 600 and one by one you'll be taking your plants out of the room and verifying that they're they're in the system oh. that they're tagged. This mm. can be a big deal. Right. What's uh, everybody's had regulation issues here. What's have, have you had any? No, actually, we've been really lucky and fortunate to have uh, zero strikes on our record. Oh, um, awesome! We, Congratulations. I don't have zero strikes on my record. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> maybe not personally here, but as a business. Uh, but again, I mean, that is one of our largest tasks is uh, compliance, and mm -hmm. it's compliance for state rules and local and, and uh, city regulations. Um, the fire department here in Denver takes a large role in uh, the medical marijuana enforcement, and we see uh, members of fire in our buildings four to six times a year uh, for different types of inspections. And, um, you know, our, our thought is do it right, be, com be compliant from the very beginning and have no problems and be mm -hmm. able to uh, operate freely. Right, right. So uh, you guys, you have three grow facilities here. Correct. Right. And Correct. How, how big are these things? They range in sizes. Uh, total, we're about 65,000 square feet of space, which sounds like a lot, but there's a lot other larger uh, operators here in, in Denver and in the state as a whole. Um, we're very efficient with our space and with our planning. Um, and again, we are growing for our five, uh, medical and recreational stores that we have in, the, in Denver. And we're also have a little bit of extra product for the wholesale market. 
Are all your stores in Denver, Denver all, proper? We've got uh, two in Lakewood, and okay. the others are here in Denver. And the others are here. Yep. Here, yeah. I, I've I've noticed there's been a. Uh, you called it a rebranding earlier, but uh, there's been a, a change in architecture. The front of the buildings, the signs look great now. There's this modern look to it when you walk up to it. Right. I mean, I think we're a retail uh, outlet just like uh, Gap or Starbucks or any other retail outlet. And, you know, in the beginning it was uh, the bright green, cannabis green colors and draw the eye so people knew what we were doing in these facilities. And, and now uh, you can see it, not just us, you can see other operators around town who have uh, up their game a little bit and you go into some of these facilities, these, some of these dispensaries and they look like jewelry stores. Um, and instead yeah. of jewels in the case, it's, uh, flowers or concentrates and others. And, um, again, we're, we're not just selling to the hundred thousand people medically here in the state We're we're offering this product to, to millions and millions of tourists that come through Colorado and through Denver all the time. And to have a, a modern, um, clean looking facility has been a real plus for us. Yeah. So you, you guys are not just in Colorado, though. you're all over. Yeah, we uh, have some partners out in Illinois and in Nevada. So we're running operations out there. Um, we've worked on some other states, as most other uh, large Colorado operators have. They started to uh, dabble in some of the national branding and some of these other uh, markets. Um, but our, our biggest facility is out in, in Illinois right now. How big is that? That one, it's only about a third of the way built. And we built that at about 80,000 square feet. Um, and again, these are, um, warehouse sizes, not necessarily full on canopy sizes. Sure. Um, but you, you have it. to support everything else under the sun besides just your grow rooms. Right. You have all of your trimming operations and your lab and all these other uh, operations that are, um, very important for the whole function. So, so, how, so how many flower lights are in this Illinois operation? Uh, we've got about 300 turned on right now and we have the ability to turn on another thousand when we're ready. The market's right. only got about 25,000 patients right now. Um, and there's, you know, about 19 growers and 60, uh, dispensaries. It's a full wholesale market. Um, and there's just not enough sales to, to need the, the full building right now. Yeah. Right. No, it's, 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 uh, you're scaling up. Yeah. You're scaling up. The yeah. worst thing that could happen was you got a small building. Right. You start, Oh, we're doing great this month. And the next month you're like, Oh, we need more. Yeah. You can't do more. Yeah. And Illinois has been a slow market to come online. I mean, it took, um, uh, almost a year and a half just to get to about 10,000. Finally, the state uh, changed the rules around uh, qualifying conditions as well as how to get that uh, condition qualified. You don't have to go to your, the doctor doesn't have to recommend cannabis specifically. They can just say that you have the condition. Um, and so that has, over the last six months, has really ramped up the numbers. Right, right. Where in Nevada? Uh, Nevada, we are down in Las Vegas. Oh, in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, yes. And, and is it wrecked there yet? It is coming online any day any right day now. now. It was right, supposed to right. start, at, I believe, the beginning of July, and I just read an article last week that the liquor distributors have maybe thrown a little wrench in it. The way the rules and the laws were written is that uh, the liquor distributors had first rights of refusal to distribute the cannabis recreationally as well. So so Las Vegas. They refused it, and then right when it was about to come online, they threw a lawsuit in to try to actually take that power back. So. Like, wait, 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 yeah, wait, 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 wait. Maybe we misread that a little bit. <laughs> right. Right. They made how many millions in Denver last month? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the BDS analytics just came out uh, this morning from April. And, you know, I think it was uh, 125 million in, in April here in sales. And, and that was actually a slight drop from March. Um, the numbers are big. And, the, and Vegas is going to be a huge market. 
Wow, so are they going to let you smoke weed inside in Vegas? Let's hope so. Yeah, because they smoke cigarettes everywhere else, <laughs> right. right, man? I, I envision like a, a dab floor or something, you know, where they you have your little card and they shoot you up to the fourth floor and there's, you know, rigs and some balconies and whatever else you want to do up there and then you kind of head back down, but we'll right. see. Right, right. We'll see. Oh, man, I hate cigarette smoke. Sorry for all you out there that smoke cigarettes. I don't hate you. I just hate the cigarette smoke. Uh, and you know, I go to Vegas all the time for trade shows yeah. and, and whatever, NCIA, cannabis, whatever it is. And, uh, man, there's the smoke gets on my clothes and yeah. I just, I just it's hate gross. that. And right. like the last time I was there, I said to myself, this is going to be weed soon. <laughs> soon. I won't care. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's hope so. And I don't know what the difference is. I mean, I guess I'm just used to the weed, but yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll, it smells better. That's for sure. I, 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 I get you there. <laughs> Well, hey, man, I think this is a perfect time to take a break. Okay. This is uh, Chip with Real Dirt. I'm with Josh Malin of the clinic. We'll be right back. We know the grower's independent. Do it yourself. He's educated in raw materials and believes in his own technique. He puts faith in his abilities and takes pride in his yield. We know that growing is complex science that requires blood, sweat, and tears and humility. We care about the environment and our place in the world, the abundance of yield, the quality of our product. We embrace getting dirt under our fingernails. We are investing in the future of the earth. We are cultivating abundance and legacy. Grow quality, grow consciously, grow and prosper. Go to growers.com for more information and where to buy our products. Growers is locally owned and operated in Denver, Colorado, and has been manufacturing soil for over 15 years. We make a consistent and effective line of soils and nutrients in an environmentally conscious way. And we're back. Hey man, I noticed you brought some uh, some goodies over here. What do we got here? Yeah, I brought a few of the concentrates coming out of the lab right now in our, our PAX pen, which I know we'll talk about. Mm, yeah. um, we do a little bit of everything out there. Uh, obviously, live resin is uh, hit that five times, and we may need to repack that for you. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, live resin is definitely the hotness right now, and people have been uh, talking a lot about that. But you know, we do the butter, which is coming from the trim and some of the dry product. Uh, we do nectars. Uh, the newest one out now is uh, what we're going to be calling sauce. A little bit of the THC crystals along with the terpenes. Uh, sort of like a manual separation of the the butane extraction. We have a uh, class one D one um, butane extraction facility. Um, and then the Pax Pen, uh, it's a live resin pot in there. It's a sour diesel. Um, so yeah, we're really happy about that. And again, I think we've, we've mentioned it before, but concentrates are uh, just continuing to come, come up and up and up. And I was just reading the, the BDS analytics, uh, this afternoon and flower sales only accounted for 49% of the sales in, in April, which is, uh. Oh, that's changed. It's a trend that's been happening, but I think this might be the first month that has dropped below 50, potentially. It is. It is. It is is the first time it's dropped below. You you heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Well, I was wearing my my pre-run shirt earlier, sort of internal joke. You know, uh, we don't grow all of our flowers just for smoking anymore. A lot of it's going directly to the lab. Yeah. I heard some kids choke recently to my buddy as he was rolling up a joint, and they said, 
Oh, look, he smokes pre-run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a sad, sad fact, but it is what it is. Man, I love the Pax Pen. It's one of my favorite, like, devices that has been developed in our industry lately. Well, that's great. Yeah, we're uh, we're really uh, lucky that we got got to be a partner with Pax. Yeah, you're the exclusive di- distributor in... in uh, Colorado, does that mean Nevada and Illinois as well? Not yet, but no. hope, we're hoping for that. Oh, okay. So right now we're just in Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. And again, our, our first release was a, a live resin pod, and we kind of came out of the gate with uh, six strains, a range between sativa, indica, and hybrids. Um, we've just recently released our uh, butter pods as well as our distillate pods. So sort of onto version three, with the butter being sort of our lowest cost option and the distillate being... Um, you know, that option for maybe consumers that don't necessarily want or like the taste of cannabis, but like the effects of it. Um, we're using uh, naturally derived terpenes to add back into those products. And so we've got uh, um, a sweet mint and a creamsicle and a blueberry and um, flavors that um, are nice on the palate. You know, those are 80 to 85% THC, so they definitely still get you high. Right. Um, but it's not that kind of typical cannabis taste. Man, so so let's talk about distillate. This is something that's been really interesting in the past several years. The first time I had it, you know, somebody was like, oh, I got this 88% pure crystal THC. Right. right. And uh, I, I, it's actually so pure that I didn't really feel it initially. Right. And then I smoked a little bit of weed right after that. Man, it was just so completely high. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of brings into some of that entourage effect, right? I mean, when you kind of just strip it down to the to, to the chemistry and you're looking at just that THC value, you may not get that same feeling that you mm-hmm. normally do when you have the, f- the flower or a live resin where you have a lot of terpenes and you kind of have that yeah. full that full effect. People love it, though. People love it. Uh, both manufacturers like it and consumers do love it. It's really strong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's uh, concentrated. You yeah. Know, you, don't, you don't need that much of it. Yeah. And honestly, as uh, you know, I don't work out at the lab, but for the lab, uh, we do a lot of contractor work out there and we're always, you know, we strive to get good product and good starting quality product, but a lot of times we don't. And so mm-hmm. the distillate is a great avenue for some of the lower quality flour, lower quality trim that we get. Um, you can pretty much take all that stuff out and just end up with that right. THC value. So. so so let's explain what this is. Can, can you explain it? Why don't you start and I'll see okay. if I can help okay. you. All right. So people make this stuff a bunch of different ways, right? right. And it, it's they, they basically make an extract in some way of cannabis, right? Right. And the interesting thing about distillate is you could make it with any type of cannabis, any quality of cannabis, because you're just trying to get the highest extract of THC and THC only out of it. Correct. Right, so they'll they'll make an initial run where they extract an oil, like just like a CO two extract or butane extract or an ethanol extract, mm-hmm. and then they they run it through a, a a distilling device that molecularly separates out the THC by molecular weight. Correct. Right, that's what makes it eighty eight or ninety six percent pure, and at some point it becomes an isolate. Right, right in the ninety someplace. Uh, but it has no flavor. You can make it out of almost any quality cannabis where the, the, the live resin you have or the fresh frozen, you mm. have to cut it, freeze it immediately. And, um, uh, the CO2 is, is also made in a specific way. And, um, it, you, you can, you can use leaves off the floor. Right. 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 So right. it's great for the manufacturer. It is. Right. It is. And then you, 
the other interesting thing about it is you mentioned it, you get to add flavor to it. Right. Right. Because you, you pull off all the natural terpenes, right? And you can add blueberry or cherry or whatever whatever flavor, flavor you, you like. want. Cheerio, yeah. right. Oreo. Right. And I think the real exciting part is, uh, you know, sort of reintroducing the the cannabis terpenes, which uh, some operators are, are doing to varying levels of success. And we definitely are working on it uh, very diligently over there at the lab. Um, you know, I think the first uh, product release using some of the naturally derived terpenes was just easier for us, kind of get our feet wet a little bit while we're doing some of the background work. Yeah, right, right, right. So so you have the the butter. What What's the butter? Butter is considered a, a concentrate that's made out of a dry trim or even dry a dry trim. flour. Yeah. Right. And then the live resin is? Is that fresh frozen that you mentioned. Fresh frozen. So again, so. that would be freshly harvested plant, a quick uh, big leaf stripped of the stems and frozen as quickly as possible. Right. Um, and, and, and what does that do? It really retains the terpenes. So these terpenes are volatile compounds. They're burning off at you know, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So as soon as you cut that plant down, we're losing terpenes. And, mm -hmm. you know, you go into a hot grow room and it smells really good. That's because those terpenes are volatizing in that grow room again, but they're sort of, um, growing back as the plant is growing. They don't ne necessarily go away. Right. Once you harvest it, then you sort of start that clock and it, and it can only get worse from that point. So by doing this sort of quick freezing process, you retain as many of those terpenes as, as possible. You actually run it frozen. Um, so you're keeping the temperatures low and all of that and really retaining the flavor of the product. So when we release uh, a Skywalker OG live resin, uh, we expect that when you smoke that, you will taste that Skywalker flower compared to uh, a CO2 concentrate where a lot of those terpenes are sort of burned off in the process with the pressures and things, and they can call it sure. any strain under the sun. But do you really taste that strain? I mean, it's questionable. It kind of depends on the, the manufacturer. Yeah, it's, it's definitely skill. It is definitely skill. You can buy any of this equipment off the shelf, right. any place in the U.S. pretty much, or, or many places in the U.S., but it, it really does take the skill of the operator to bring it out. It does. It does. And I give uh, mad props to the guys out at the lab. Uh, they're doing some great work. As you can see, I brought a couple of different mm -hmm. products here, and um, they all just look look great. And, you know, I think that's what sells initially when someone comes into the stores, you know, you don't come in and start buying black concentrates. That's generally not the first one that you mm -hmm. pick. So you want that, that golden yellow resinous color. Um, but it, there has to be something behind that as well. So. Right. So what do you, do you, do you, uh, do you have a favorite? Uh, favorite concentrate? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, you know, because again, I'm, I'm a flower smoker, uh, by nature and, and for my life. And so I, I do like the, the flower, I do like the flavor of each individual strain. So for me, uh, the live resin is probably my go-to, um, you know, when paycheck is a little tight that month, I'll, you know, move on to the butters and generally you can still get a lot of the great flavors out of the butters as well. What do you mean? You can't just like get as much weed as you want from the shop? Yeah, you would have, you would think so, but <laughs> <laughs> every dollar counts. So we get great discounts. All of our employees get great discounts, but you know, we're encouraged right. to, and not only do we shop at our own stores, but we're encouraged to go out to other stores too and, and kind of see what other manufacturers, what other operators are doing too in town. So do you guys have like a, a quality control phase of your, your business where everybody's just smoking out in the morning before work and... We used to, we, we used <laughs> to be work, like that. Work that way anymore? Not so much. I mean, we we've got a lot. We've got a few different things. We've got some uh, quote unquote work groups in our company. Uh, we've got one at, on the retail end that handles all the edibles, and so we've got 
vendor after vendor wanting to get their product into the stores. Mm -hmm. um, that goes through this sort of work group where they take the edible home and they try it. They write up a report about it. They sort of decide as a group um, if it's the right product for our shelf, if it's the right product for our, our patients. They're the ones that know what our bud tenders are, the ones that, that know what our patients want, what our customers want. So they kind of do that. Um, you know, on the flour and concentrate side, we definitely test them throughout the year. And, and so we know what, what we have and what we need to get rid of and what we need to bring in. Um, but, but nothing super formal. Generally when we're doing a, a contest, like, um, the THC, uh, championship is coming up here in the next month or so. And, and we will select, uh, a variety of different products from both the, the grow and the lab and, and bring a group together and try to try those all together and kind of make that decision together. But THC championship. I don't know this. <clears throat> yeah, so THC magazine has been throwing. Oh, uh, okay, I know they, them. Yeah, they've been throwing a, a competition for the last few years, and um, you know, High Times is not really any, no longer really in Colorado. We've lost that competition a couple of years ago, um, mm -hmm. just due to um, High, know, times. High Times, and High Times, permitting and all that other mm -hmm. stuff. Um, THC, uh, I guess for me is, you know, one of the more legit competitions now. They use one single lab to do all the testing and um, there is some analytics put it, put behind it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, for us, it feels good to kind of participate in some of those. We don't do every single one every year, but uh, we did just participate in the grow off uh, this past spring um, and pull, pull two second places uh, for yield and for terpenes. That kind of got us all excited again about our, our quality and our strains and kind of uh, wanted us to get back into some of these uh, competitions. Right, yeah, that, that's how uh, we got in touch with you. Yeah. At the growth, right? Yeah, yeah, Sam, I think, put us in touch. Yeah. 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 And that was, a, that was a fun competition. That was one where, again, where we, uh, the competition was a, a mystery strain. All the cultivators that signed up for it got two rooted cuttings of a strain that they didn't know. They had six months to do whatever they wanted to do, and uh, they were judged off of yield, potency, and terpenes. And again, all the testing was done at one lab so that uh, test results were believable um, <laughs> across the board. Um, and yeah, again, I mean, for us, I've got a pretty young staff and they, it just brought a lot of stoke back to the group, you know, even right. just getting a couple seconds was like a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and with a, yeah, and with a mystery strain, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, how Everybody's fast can you, how fast right. can you decide what it is? And do you change your, your methods and your, you know, nutrients to, to adapt <laughs> to that? Or you just kind of let it roll with your production? I mean, again, we're, we're a production, we're a production warehouse. It's all about, you know, putting product on the shelves. And, um, so to kind of, you know, put a competition plan in there, it was, it was hard to fully separate it. Um, but again, you know, we pulled a couple of seconds, which we were happy with. So, right. So, uh, uh, they, they didn't give you any information about it. They just said, here's the plant. Yeah. Yeah. Right, not how long it takes, nothing. No, initially they announced that it was going to be some genetics from, I believe it was... Rare Dankness. Uh, Dark Horse Dark or something Horse, like Dark that. Um, and then at the last minute, yeah, it, they changed. Ch it changed. And so, no, it wasn't... There was no information about it. Um, we did weekly check-ins with the group where we kind of had to tell them how we were growing it. And, and they actually came out and did some spot checks to kind of verify what we were doing out in the grow. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, we were involved with the grow off. I yeah. thought it was an awesome competition. It was really yeah. Thanks fun. again for the prizes. Actually, I just finally picked up uh, uh, my lights and my what, stuff the other day. What, so. What'd you win? What'd, what'd we give you? <laughs> we got uh, we got six double ended lights. We Ooh, got um, a full run of advance, I believe. Okay. And then uh, your guys over there off of Bucktail were nice enough to throw in some of your cocoa as well. So oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. The the tuper, the cocoa. Uh, it was the cocoa. Cocoa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Awesome. Great. 
So you guys grow in cocoa? Yeah, we do grow in cocoa. We've, right. we've done a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the one that we haven't really done on a commercial scale would be sort of the deep water techniques. But um, we have traditionally been a, a cocoa grower. We, we do uh, rock wool in part of our veg stages mm -hmm. um, as in an ebb and flood situation. But our, our final pots are cocoa. Can you tell us how you do it? How it starts? Like you just said in the veg, it starts with the rock wool. Yeah. Like... Let's give us the, the life story of a plant. Yeah. And I'm going to sit here and roll some of this plant up since right. I know you're a Perfect. flower guy. Yeah. So uh, we do, we, again, you mentioned mother plants. We have mother plants for all of our strains. Uh, we do all of our cloning in uh, aeroponic uh, easy cloners, which I'm sure a lot of people are aware of. Um, and then those get potted directly into a, a six inch <laughs> rock wool plant. We'll grow that plant out in the ebb and flood uh, benches for. Um, two to four weeks, kind of get them rooted, get them healthy, maybe take uh, our first top on that side, and then we'll, we'll make that transplant over to a, a cocoa perlite mix. We actually use uh, Batch 64, which is a local group out of Denver. Um, they've now moved over to the Western Slope. Uh, great guys from Colorado. They bring in all the um, compressed uh, bales of cocoa and do all their mixing on site and all their flushing on site, um, and we've done a lot of great work with them. Um, and then we're into that final pot, and we'll give it a couple weeks more in veg just to uh, bulk up, and then off to the flower rooms it goes. So uh, is it is it just cocoa? You use straight cocoa? It's a two-to-one cocoa to perlite mix. Yeah, cocoa yeah. perlite. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, perlite makes it easier for employees to work with it and do it on a commercial scale. Yeah, you know, I think it's always about aerating the medium and how do you get it to dry down fast enough so that you can continue to feed it. And then I mentioned earlier that we grow these plants soft. I mean, there's really, there's no wind, there's no cold, there's no anything. It's just newts, 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 charge, charge, charge as fast as you can. Um, and so, uh, you know, the perlite added to the cocoa mix just allows a little bit more uh, dry down. So many horticultural people like laugh at the cannabis industry and their perlite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You, when you were in the, the, the greenhouse industry, you guys, we didn't use no perlite. No, yeah, we used we did a lot of growing in peat, honestly. Right. Um, and uh, and only some of our crops, some of our bulb crops, were done in uh, cocoa choir. Um, peat was king, and probably still is on the commercial horticulture side. And we've done a, a fair amount of work with peat as well. Um, I think we just feel comfortable with where we're at with the cocoa. Yeah, no cocoa. It's a, it's a blank slate, right? So you can yeah. really pretty much do whatever you want with it. You know, cocoa. You 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 got haters for sure on cocoa. Uh, I, I, I personally love cocoa fiber, of course, you know, I'm, I mean, you, you, I don't know if you know, I was, uh, owned cocoa company for a long time, Royal Gold. Okay. No, I know that. Right. Yeah. Royal Gold made, you know, was one of the first cocoa importers in the country almost, well, almost 20 years ago now. Okay. Right. But, uh, I saw the vision for it then, how sustainable it was. Yeah. And I immediately saw how great it was growing cannabis. Yeah. Right. It, it holds all this water, all this moisture. Um, it, uh, it has, uh, uh, this great potassium charge on it. Right. Right. And you can just like, you know, cannabis plants just love it. Yeah. Right. Right. Just love it. It's a, it's a real easy medium to work with. And I think, um, again, for me and, and a lot of the staff members that we have have come up sort of through the ranks, you know, and almost all of them have been trimmers for us at one point or another. And, and that none of them are horticulture, uh, grads or anything like that. And so it's, um, it's a very easy medium, and again, it's that blank slate where uh, if you do run into a problem, you actually have a fairly good chance of uh, flushing it out and starting it over. And fixing it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the biggest problem people have with it is watering it because uh, there's all this bad information from 20, 
25 years ago from Canna and some of the other manufacturers like, oh, you can't overwater cocoa fiber, mm -hmm. you know, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it has to be under 1,000 EC in order, or 1,000 ppm in order to use it. Right. And so people are they're they they overwater cocoa fiber yeah right yeah and they're like ah oh, cocoa fiber doesn't work right right but it's it's just poor information poor education i think there's a lot of misinformation out there and again mm -hmm. i mean it, it used to it used to be a small group holding all the all the information out there and now it's that that group is growing rapidly and again we're getting our um we're getting face to face with um, commercial horticulture growers, commercial horticulture distributors, and um, product manufacturers, and all that, and so we're learning as well. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably just mis misinformation at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other problem people have with cocoa fiber is they're scared of this nutrient lockout. They'll call it, which uh, I know everybody's going to tell me I'm wrong here, but it mostly doesn't happen, right? right. Plants get yellow because people didn't feed it enough. Right. And so then they flush it and it gets worse. Right. right. And that's generally what happens is someone makes a, a, the wrong call and, and flushes it and, and you can take it down a, a bad path there. Um, but for the most part, we've had a lot of success with it. Um, you know, like I said, we have tried our hands with peat and um, soil mixes and, and rock wool in the flowering stages. And um, for us, we're, we're really happy with where we're at with our, with our um, cocoa perlite mix. What size containers you guys do that in? Your flower container. We're in a seven-gallon Hercules pot right now. Oh, right. Yep. Right. What, tell us what a Hercules pot is. Kind of looks like a pot with a ton of holes cut in it. Uh, and these holes are cut um, parallel to, I guess, I don't know how to describe it. I guess they're cut, cut parallel from top to bottom for all the way down the, mm -hmm. the way. So um, root pruning, air pruning, um, and a lot of uh, really great dry down uh, of the crop. Well, man, you know, I think this is a perfect time to take a break because we're having another technical difficulty. I'm, I rolled this joint and I don't have a lighter. Okay. So uh, we're going to be right back. This is Chip with Real Dirt and Josh Malin with The Clinic. Cutting Edge Solutions is leading the cultivation industry in hydroponic fertilizers. I've known John, the founder of Cutting Edge, for over 20 years. He's an expert horticulturalist and a truly great dude. I truly stand behind his products as a wholesaler and a retailer. I see that all of the growers that buy his product are truly satisfied. As a grower, you know when a nutrient line has been developed from extensive research in real farms throughout Northern California that it's for real. Cutting edge products are always fresh, alive, and never dehydrated. They specialize in soil biology and plant health. Check out their website at www.cuttingedgesolutions.com for more information about their full line of products, including additives, hydroponic nutrients, hum tea, Sonoma Gold, and beneficials, and great, great feeding charts. Hey, if you ever see John out in a hydro store, chat him up. He'll talk your ear off about how you're growing and the complexities of his product and plant health. Thanks, John. We're back. All right, I found a lighter. Cultivate Colorado lighter. Perfect. Yeah, totally. Just mm, fire the sucker up. So we were, we were talking about cocoa and peat. Yeah. Cocoa and peat. I used to be a purist, but I'm not anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I see how people can be successful in a thousand different techniques of growing weed. 
and it's all in how they choose to do it or like to do it and honestly it just fascinates me that the same guy like you guys will be awesomely successful in seven gallon cocoa mm. right containers and the next guy's like no you gotta use three gallons right right and then the next guy's like five gallons with pro mix you right. can't use cocoa sucks it doesn't work yeah and there might be different qualities of the cannabis that they're growing, but like in the whole, they still all can grow top-notch weed. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I mean, you can cut it up any way you want. You know, maybe if you have smaller pots, you have more plants per per square foot. Larger pots, you might have less. But uh, it, you know, there's a lot of really great growers here in the state. We're probably doing a lot of the same things with very small differences between all of us. I see lots. I see and sell lots of seven-gallon pots for sure. Uh, it's it's uh, because of the plant count law, mm -hmm. right? That's a mm -hmm. that's a real predominant yep. pot size. Yeah, we spent a lot of time in fives when we started uh, back in two thousand nine. Uh, the grower uh, who helped us uh, get started uh, was an old outdoor grower. We are in tens and twenties and you know huge pots. And I I kind of came into this scenario where I was used to you know four inch and six inch pots and millions and millions across the the greenhouse or whatever. And, you know, I came into the building and there was, you know, 55 plants or something. And I was like, oh, okay, this is different. And we, we veered from that. We went to smaller pots and more sea of green style, faster through veg, right. faster through flower. Um, and just recently, actually, with the help of the grow off competition, have realized that, um, you know, we can do great things in larger pots. It means less plants in the grow altogether. Hopefully that means, you know, less staff and more hands on the crop and all of that. And, uh, yeah, we've just had some good success with it. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sweet sour with the big plants though. Cause you lose one big plant or you have a problem with it. And then it's like, it's, it's so much of an, a decrease in your overall volume. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, but man, there's, there is something to be said about all that root material that you generate in those big pots and the buds that it puts off on the plants. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think what we've seen and what's always been a challenge on the indoor growing, we talked a little about it earlier is, you know, the, um, controlling that environment. And so the smaller pots for us meant more plants per square foot, which meant less airflow, which meant more problems and harder to get to the problems and more all of that, to take. more clones to take all more of it. And so, yeah. And so moving to these larger pots and giving them the space to grow and really kind of branch out, um, has really helped in that. Now, uh, you guys hand water? Uh, we try not to, <laughs> there's always, there's always some hand water. I, I think that there's always gonna be some hand water involved. Generally for me, it's always been in that sort of pot to pot, uh, vegetative stage where yeah, right it, when you transplant. Up yeah. Or... It takes more effort to go in and drip all these plants when you're going to move one in a week and have to redo that rather than just going in with your hand. Mm -hmm. Um, our facilities are drip operated right now for the most part. You, you mentioned you do do uh, flood and drain for... For the rock wool for side. For the rock wool yep. side. So, yep. so you take your cutting, put it in some type of rock wool cube and flood and drain it. Yes. Right. Yep, yep. And those are all done with individual uh, reservoirs. And again, we're... We're in some uh, retrofitted buildings that we've been in from the beginning. We haven't uh, built, you know, the, the Taj Mahal that others have already. And um, so if I were to do it over, those plans would change. But right now it's individual reservoirs feeding each bench on the, on the ebb and flood side. Yeah, man, that's an interesting point. Uh, so many of these facilities came up immediately, like 2009, 2010, and the technology really has changed. 
Yeah, you very know, rapidly. Greatly. Around yeah. 2014, we saw like a couple of huge changes. Yeah. One, it took like that long for all the HVAC people to figure out how to make it work. Right. Yeah, that right. was a big one. That, that was, was a totally big a big one. And people were just kept putting up five ton, five ton, five ton, five ton, five ton units. Right. And, you know, then it was like so hot and so dry, so yeah. cold. You know, and I think some of us, some of us that came online early on, we weren't building new facilities. We were finding mm -hmm. that cheap, uh, cheap rentals. You know, there was a lot of rentals available at that point in the commercial districts. And oh, so um, you can name your price. Oh yeah, well that's not <laughs> that's not the case you anymore. Know it's not, is it? You can't uh, even find a place. You, you can't have to have a broker to find you a place. Yeah, it's really hard to find, and it's really really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, their technology has changed so rapidly. You mentioned the HVAC side. I would say the lights is one that's been... Oh, yeah, the double-ended lights. The double-ended lights. There's LED manufacturers yeah. who are actually... Ceramic metal halide. All, all of that. these, yeah. I right. mean, it's changed. And, and again, a lot of them are still in, you know, HPS, but the, the double-ended bowls was a, was a game changer. Absolutely. Yeah. You, got, you guys run those in a large footprint? Yeah, in about uh, 5,000 square foot. Uh, uh, 20, like 25 square foot per oh, light yeah, or right. something? Yep. Right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, that's the biggest thing with those, man, yeah. is you get 40% more square footage with 10% yeah. more light. Because they're actually 1,140 watts, right. not 1,000 watts. Right, and I think, you know, traditionally right. coming out of, uh, and I'll just say this, uh, you know, coming out of the basements or wherever else we were all growing before this, um, you know, it was... Uh, you know, a couple of lights over a four by eight tray and very direct light. And when you look at these Gavitas or any of these other double-ended manufacturers, it's really mm -hmm. pull the lights up, light the space, um, and yeah. really just grow underneath canopy. it, you know, and let the canopy do what's going to do. Um, uh, rolling greenhouse benches, you know, that's a big one for me where, oh, yeah. um, you know, you, you can take a room from, you know, 50, 55% space efficiency in these little four by eight trays to 75, 80, if you were really good about it. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a huge deal. Yeah. That, that one, get rid of those aisles, man. Mm -hmm. Get rid of those aisles. You also get all that overlap of the light when you get rid of the aisle. Right. You know? Yeah. That permanent aisle space is not growing weed. So we try to get rid of those. No, but yeah. there's light there. Yeah, there right? is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of it. Right. This is my favorite sour diesel. I heard you mentioned, uh, you had a sour diesel pen. Yeah, yeah, that's the sour diesel in the packs there. Yeah, sour has always been one of my favorites yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, love it. You don't you don't see it so much here, man. It's not like a favorite strain of Colorado. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, Blue Dream is a favorite strain of Colorado, and I see you rolling your eyes, but I mean, that's really <laughs> <laughs> that's really the case. I mean, it is. No, it's the case. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's who, the case, man. Yeah, I mean, and so it's great. It's great weed for the mass consumer. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it tastes good. It's this nice nugget. And, right. you know, people come into the store and they're like, oh, look at that nice nugget. I got this nice nugget. Yeah. They go home and show their friends their nice nugget. Yeah. It has this like really soft, like fruity, you know, berry flavor that I absolutely can't stand. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you living know? in uh, San Francisco for six years, I had my fill of blue dream. I'm, I, God, you know, I don't, we, we grow a little bit of it, but uh, it's not my favorite. I mean, I, I like, uh, I'm a sativa guy. Uh, you know, our star dog guava that we grow is definitely one of my, my favorites. Um, but even some of the old strains like the Durban poison and the train wrecks and things that, uh, that you don't see a ton of either necessarily, but mm -hmm. are still just such quality, high quality strains. Yeah, I love Trainwreck, Trainwreck hybrids. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first sack of Trainwreck I got, I got it this way. Somebody smoked me out, and we left their house, and I drove around the block and got lost, 
right? And I realized, like, okay, kids, don't do this home. Don't drink and don't. And I'd never smoke and drive ever since then. Mm-hmm. Right. But I got so stoned driving around the corner. I got lost and finally made it back to my buddy Jovan's place. Thanks, Jovan. Knocked on the door. He said, what's going on? He's like, man, I need a sack of that weed, dude. That shit was good. <laughs> I got lost driving around your block. <laughs> right, the first uh, first time I saw our trainer cut, it like made my eyes water. I mean, you just get mm-hmm. that that fuel, and it was it was even hard just to work next to it. I mean, and that's oh yeah, you you know you're into some good stuff when that's happening. Yeah, so. it has a just this thick petroleum lemon petroleum hot like. Like, Cat piss. Yeah, like just the, the the sour side of all of that, the sour side of lemon, the sour side of, of unleaded fuel, the sour side of cat piss, all of it rolled into one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we love it. Right. <laughs> Rotten meat. Right. right. Is another like description of it. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Just the, like that heart pounding. That race. Heart pounding yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. But it doesn't look so good. Right, it has like a, a different structure than modern cannabis. You know, uh, uh, that's just old school. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, it's we in Northern California brought it into indoor. You know, everybody was doing going from outdoor with outdoor strains to indoor strains. Right, and it was great still, but man, it doesn't grow like doesn't look like indoor pot. Yeah, new modern indoor pot anyway. Right. Which I guess to me is okay. I mean, you got to have a little bit of grower. You see that for sure, but you know, the consumers is is a little different. They like it has that different green color. Yeah, right. It can be leafy if it's not grown right. It doesn't have like the the pronounced calyxes on it. Yeah, right. The pistols retract a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's It's not you know. It smells incredible, but there's not a crystal on it. True. Right. but then on the flip side, you know, we have a, a gelato cut that is as black as I've ever seen a cannabis strain is, and it sells really well because of that. It's unique, but is it that great? I mean, every it, to, to each of you know, everyone takes their own pick of what they like to to smoke. But to me, um, you know, that's not my favorite. But it is one of those you know striking strains mm-hmm. in the jar, you know, right. and that does a lot. Like I said with concentrates earlier, you know, I think that first first grab for a concentrate is all visual, right? It's probably a lot of the same with the flowers as well. Yeah. Uh, you got any other purple strains there? Uh, we've got some other that carry some purple. Our Bubba Kush has got a lot of purples in it, mm-hmm. and that's a real fruity strain. Um, you know, we just took a, a sage to 90 days the other day, and, you know, I've never seen sage the color that, I, that this turned. It took on a ton of purple hues. And, again, a 90-day 90 strain, 90 strain is generally not one that we're running in our warehouse. It doesn't fit this fit the mold very well. Right. Um, it was an experiment, but uh, it was really interesting. So again, I mean, I think we're still learning what all these different, uh, you know, genetics can do. You know, we don't, yeah. we run them fairly cookie cutter, right? It's an eight or nine week uh, system and that's just what it is. And that strain may need 10 or 11 or 12 and, and rarely do we uh, give it to it. You just it. can't do it. I mean, you got to right. turn, turn and burn. Right, right. Yeah, you know, the economy of growing cannabis often gets the way yeah right yeah right because i I personally would love it if you guys would grow like some in golden tie colombian crosses it take like 24 weeks and it looks like some red hair on a stick yeah right but nobody's gonna buy that from you (laughs) no i honestly i just got my hands on a cut of uh you know what should be a a very close to or the real malawi gold cut and Mm. uh it won't 
finish. It's just this mm. hairy flower that won't, I mean, it's barely even putting on trichomes or, I mean, I'm at, you know, 11 weeks right now. And I, I feel like I probably need to give it another like eight if I could, but it's, right. you know, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Man, I got a buddy who for years he was just growing sativas for uh for his head. Yeah. And uh and for all of us too. <laughs> right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Um Angola Thai, Angola Thai train wreck, Angola Thai, Irene, Panama with all that cross, mm -hmm. Charlie Garcia strains. I don't know if you know no. that guy out of Spain. Right. But uh man, that stuff was incredible and we love smoking it and it was this awesome thing. Man, and then I think just the economy of it, it just, you know, after a while, you just can't do it. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, I've, you know, to me, it's been really interesting to see the the trends and what people want out there, right? I mean, it, when I came in, we had, uh, you know, the Super Lemon Haze and these Durban and, mm -hmm. and train wrecks and some kind of old school flavorful strains. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the OG train came rolling through Colorado and that's all that we grew and that's all that anyone wanted to smoke or would talk about. And, and then you start looking at the high times cup over the last couple of years and you start seeing winners back in like the golden goat and you have, you right. know, people out, some great breeders out of, out of California putting all these fruity flavors back into these cannabis strains. And it's really, yeah. it's been progressing Skittles. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The sherbets and Sherbert. the strawberry bananas and mm. things like key lime pie. I mean, great, great strains, but it's just, um, and it happens rapidly. I mean, these are over a course of yeah, years it just breed it's, it's, it really it really happens right. fast so you guys do breed some breeding there yeah we do we have a sort of a sidearm of the clinic called the bank cannabis genetics um it's been a slow progress to get it started again we're, we're a production warehouse we've hated to designate too much space to side projects and r&d and that kind of thing but we always saw it as being a very important part of the business and we mm -hmm. try to instill that in our partners out of state as well as as soon as you build your building you know your genetics program should get started as well because um we have the power we have the lights we have all these things to do these these breeding projects um and it's been a lot of fun we've put out uh, four or five different lines over the last few years so but you know that that r d is an investment too though like you, it you is. have to be forward thinking to 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 spend money now to make it later yeah i mean we would love to win a high times cup with our strain that we bred right i mean we've had we've got a couple wins under our belt um they're not strains that we uh bred ourselves and you know we would love to take one of those um but but more importantly, I mean, I think some of the targeted breeding around the medicine, right? I mean, around these CBDs and, and being able to breed flowers that are so good for concentrates and that you get the best yields out of and, and all these different purposes that we need it for. Now we have that ability. We have those strains in house. It's just about getting them crossed and getting them, you know, selected out. And, and that's the slowest process is really that selection process, right? I mean, because again, our plant count is going towards production. I can't put a thousand seeds in the ground and have, you know, right. just all these onesie twosies coming out. It, it It's hard to do. So it's been slow, but um, uh, we're getting some steam right now on it. No, oh, awesome. You got, yeah. you got four, four lines, four strains. How does it work? Yeah. I mean, we've had different lines. So we had like, uh, we worked with the LA confidential from the DNA genetics guys. Mm. Um, Aaron we, and Don. Yeah. 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 Those guys, uh, uh, those guys are great guys. We've had them in our grows back in the day and, um, you know, they've done a lot of great work and obviously have paved the way for what all the rest of us are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, we did some with our internal genetics, our Durban. We used um, Adam Dunn's Sage to do a line with that. Our THC. most seeds. Yeah, our most recent release is uh, with our our Bubba Kush, and um, we're working on a, a G line and uh, working on a CBD line and, and things like that. So again, it takes some time, but um, being able to release them now, both to medical and rec patients. Um, and also on the wholesale side, it's been a, a great deal for us because there's a lot of great, like you said, greenhouse and outdoor growers who, um, you know, may or may not have the facilities to do all the uh, propagation or all the breeding or all that. But if they can come to us and buy 20,000 seeds and start their farm, you know, that's great. So, right. Yeah. Right. So we, uh, we, we've, breeding's definitely pushes, uh, pushes the strains and the flavor of cannabis and, and fulfills certain needs in the marketplace. You mentioned some of them. You, you see any other future in the cannabis industry? What, if you look in your crystal ball? Future of the cannabis industry? In any manner. Yeah, I mean, I think the technology is going to continue to to develop rapidly, uh, like I would mentioned. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we're now face-to-face with, you know, large-scale uh, horticultural and agricultural companies. I think, um, you know, one big one is, for me, is, uh, you know, the nutrients, right? We're all very used to using these uh, bottled uh, multi-piece nutrients that mm-hmm. um, we just are used to, and that's what's been mm-hmm. on the market. Mm-hmm. And now you're starting to get into your solubles and your dry salts and your raws and all these different products which make it you can get to that final quality you can just get there a lot cheaper than than we were doing i think that's a big one for me personally um lights we mentioned lights i think is a is a real big one with these leds mm-hmm. you know we've done um you over, guys use spiders or something right? yeah we yeah. use the flute we work with fluents pretty closely and we mm-hmm. use their spiders and, and their vipers and um again i mean the the led has been had a, a black mark on their name in the small you know, personal scale because there's only a couple of them out there that work that really work. And we've had our hands on a lot of them. And, um, um, I can say that I haven't mastered it. I can't do it in flower with the same numbers I can do under a, a double ended Gavita, but, um, on my veg side and my propagation side, I'm, I just love them. They're great. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they will, I will get there on the flower side, you know, and there right. will be potentially regulations or mandates further down the line around power usage that we're going to have to adapt mm-hmm. for. So again, forward thinking and trying to get there as soon as we can. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. The, 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 you mentioned you can't quite get the LEDs to work under flower. What, what, what's the, di- what, what do they look like? What's going on there? You know, the, the quality and the, the look of the flower is, is great. And honestly, we've made great concentrates out of it. We had great, uh, potency tests out of the flowers grown under LEDs. I can't get the yield that I can get under yeah. the typical HPS or the double ended it, the penetration of the light. It's not as deep, you know, right. it's a, um, that's either a very specific spectrum or even in some of the newer lights, the newer LEDs that are sort of a full spectrum, it just doesn't penetrate the way. And it, it maybe even beyond penetration, the overlap of the light is not like you would in a room mm-hmm. where you have these Gavitas thrown up, you know, 12 feet off yeah, the floor right. and they're just crossing over. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting great yields in the top third of the plant, but the rest of it where we normally would pull some flower, we're just not. And so as production based and as uh, yield based as the market is right now, based off of cost, it just... I couldn't make a flip on it. I can't, I can't switch fully over, but we're, we're working hard to, to do it. And um, Fluent and others have, you know, sidebar lighting or inner canopy lighting. And I think that's probably uh, would be necessary in that type of grow uh, to really right. get their yields. Um, you know, a lot of growers are going to vertical, you know, double stack, triple stack growing um, where maybe you do, uh, you definitely go to more of a sea of a green, shorter plants, more plants. Mm-hmm. So your canopy only is 
12 inches and that yeah. and the light can handle it but right. when you're talking about seven gallon pot that's had seven weeks of veg you know you're talking about an eight foot plant i can't only yield on the on the top right. eight inches it's not going to work yeah no there's some the led technology really is interesting to me i've seen so many bogus people come and sell it in our stores yeah. and whatever and you've, you've mentioned how many bad lights you've seen out there some of them just don't grow at all yeah right uh, but the the fluents they've got a really good product with a certain application right. and and I'm a, those guys they, they're uh, they're going to develop something in the future yeah. I bet it's going to happen for them right but currently you have to stick to a specific growing technique in order to really make it work for you it seems that way right. with, with the form function of right. the light for right. sure right. their their vipers is um is sort of their greenhouse model of a light mm -hmm. and i don't know if you've seen that yeah it's, yeah i've seen it's those. about right. as wide as an iphone and it's a you know a four right. foot bar basically and they're supposed to kind of go underneath the trusses of the greenhouse but those ones you can raise up a little bit from the crop and kind of let the, the light sort of penetrate out over the mm -hmm. over the crop where the spiders are uh you know basically a four by four they have individual bars but it's a four by four light up and it's really to be right on top of right, the crop you right know? And, and we've had crop. some success in a in a double stack sort of setup with those lights oh yeah um, totally just because they're they're close to the crop you grow smaller plants and you just really just go for that you know those 12 inches of canopy right. basically i love sea green i love yeah. the look of it i love the math of it uh i i i love the like whole production portion of it mm -hmm. it's just you know you got to be on your cuttings your game that game yeah like that's got to be your game yeah right yeah right <laughs> well and i mean you're kind of talking about future and technologies and you know i think tissue culture is one that a lot of people mm -hmm. throw around but maybe isn't fully ingrained yet but it will be especially yeah, when numbers need to be that high i mean um, you know what, if I only need to take a hundred cuts a week, it probably doesn't make sense for me to have a, a tissue culture lab, but if I'm going to take 10,000 or like California mm -hmm. that has, uh, licensees that are just going to be nurseries, um, you know, I can right. see that being a, a, a big future for us. Yeah. It's, it's all changing, man. Uh, one of the things we were speaking about earlier is, is the culture change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, how, how, how have you seen like just the culture change here in Denver in the past few years? It's um, becoming very corporate, I would say. It's becoming very commercial. And uh, you lose some of the, the feeling that we had about this plant, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, whatever it was for each of us, um, you know, when we got involved with it. Um, you don't know the lineage of all your strains anymore. You don't know exactly where it came. And honestly, I give that back to the growers who are changing names out there left and right. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a really poor practice and it's happening all the time right now. Mm -hmm. And so that steals from the culture because now there is no story because that mm -hmm. name that mm -hmm. they put on that plant means absolutely zero, right? right. And so, um, you know, I was never one to be uh, a weed nerd, not fully into the culture, but I appreciated it for what it is. It's, it's what blossomed in, into what we are now, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, I come from sort of the the non-weed background in terms of grow. I haven't been growing for 50 years or 30 years. I mean, I've been growing cannabis for seven years, really. You know, I had a couple handful of, of grows in my in the in the day in college or whatever, but um, I know it for what it is now, um, and I like it. I mean, it's been a lot of fun, and it's yeah. and it's progressing rapidly. Yeah, man, it's it's changing so fast. Yeah, it's changing so fast. Yeah. It's awesome to see. There's some sad parts about it, though. You know, uh, we mentioned the stories before. Like we, you know. In the past, you'd get something and you'd hear this story about it. It's like, my brother-in-law grew this in the backyard right. or, you know, like I brought this from wherever the hell and where, you know, yeah. the seed came from and that, that, 
that, that that's kind of the, was the beauty of like getting the bag and smoking it that you like knew something about it. Right. Akin to to the the the, the wine. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. You read the label and it says this cool story about it. Right. Right. And, hey, you know, and maybe some of that will come back at some point. I mean, I think there's yeah. it, it. What seems to be happening is we're driving this towards this commodity crop, Flavor you know, game. highly commercialized, right. uh, cheap product, as cheap as you can yeah. grow it, so that you can sell it cheap. Um, and then it'll get to a point where it comes backwards, right? It'll come back towards the story, back towards the mm -hmm. connoisseur, back towards the the small batch, the homegrown, those types of things. You know, the same that you're seeing in in beer and in distilleries around town is, um, you know, you get big and then you have to come back to your base, right? Right, right. Yeah, there's always been so much economy tied with cannabis and there is this green rush. People talk about it like it really is a rush. Like people are rushing and running towards it and, you know, trying to grow as much as they can, sell as much as they can. Right. Uh, with this thought that like, oh, it's, it's this, is, this is so brand new. I've got to do it all now. Or this isn't going to last forever. Or right. I've got to grab the, my market share right now. Right. You know, uh, uh, we forget about those other, you know, cool things. Yeah. Like 90 day strains. Yeah. 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 And, it's, and like you said, it's important to do that R&D. I mean, we we uh, definitely cut out some space for it because we want to continue to progress. We want to um, use our tools that we have now that we're lucky enough to have now in these facilities to kind of find new things or re refine new things with our with our crop, with technologies, with methods, all of that. Awesome. Man, it's been an incredible episode of The Real Dirt here with you. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate your time so much. We had yeah. a great conversation here. I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to have to ask you to invite me in your grow room one day. Now that you've come to my, my studio here, I want to check out what you got going on. I'm sure I could make a trade for that. Oh, Thanks aw, for having awesome. me. I really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Yep. This is Chip Baker with Real Dirt and Josh Malman with the clinic. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks, Chip. All right. Hey, thanks for joining me today on The Real Dirt. Really appreciate you spending your time and listening uh, to me and Josh babble away. You know, I have so much respect for a guy like Josh. He's a really smart dude that understands systems and technologies of growing. And the amount of research and development that they're putting into it just really has changed my impression of, of what, you know, modern cannabis can be. You need to check out the clinic if you're ever in Denver, Colorado, or their other locations in Nevada or Illinois. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of The Real Dirt with Chip Baker.